Hi, and welcome to Fossilfern Christian Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message, and it will both challenge and inspire you. Things that's nice for super spiritual people, but it just doesn't work and cut ice here on the ground in my kind of place. When James is introduces that passage about the uh, fervent effectual prayer of a righteous person that whole passage there in in James chapter 5 is about praying for the sick it's about praying for healing and there's some really simple instructions it says if you're crook well that's not their biblical word that's my word if you're crook call the elders and they'll pray for you and God will raise you up so it's a really simple, you don't have to have a whole pile of faith to do that. All you've got to do is ring the elders. And the elders don't have to do a whole, whole pile either. They've just got to pray for you and anoint you. And who does the healing in that particular passage? Who is it that does that? It's God. So our responsibility, call the elders. The elders' responsibility, lay hands on and pray and anoint with oil. And God does the rest. So that's where our encouragement can come from, by the way, because I'm not trying to encourage you to strive harder, but just to be faithful in what God has called you to, because he's going to do the rest. So let's have a careful look at this passage that James unpacks for us here about prayer. And I want to, uh, and if you've got different translations, it's quite actually helpful to read, uh, particularly uh, verse uh, 16, in different translations, because it uses a whole pile of different words to describe uh, what uh, fervent prayer is all about. And I'll read these out for you. This is gathering the words from all the different versions and translations. It says, the fervent, heartfelt, earnest, persistent prayer. Hear those? List. Fervent, heartfelt, earnest, persistent prayer of a righteous person has great power and accomplishes much. So let's very briefly look at some of those parts there before we look at what it means to pray earnestly. Before you disqualify yourself from praying, because you say, well, actually... You know, you don't realise what I did this week or what I thought or what I didn't think or what I didn't do or what I did do. I can't pray because I'm not righteous. Biblically, that's not true. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been declared and made righteous by his precious blood. So this scripture talking about righteous people praying is is not for those that you think, well, they're just way up there because it's going to talk about Elijah in a minute. You think, oh man, you know, Elijah. Well, James actually describes Elijah as a person just like us. And if you read the story of Elijah, yes, there are mountaintop experiences, but, but he had some lows, some serious lows where he was fearful, he was anxious, he felt alone and he trembled even at times doubted God, began to complain and whinge, just like us. It's not our righteousness that qualifies us to pray, it's the Lord Jesus who shed his blood and made us righteous. And there's great power in that prayer because 
the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us. That's Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. So the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and we celebrate that, the stones rolled away, we gather early on Easter Sunday morning and say the grave has no power. Well, friends, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, guess who that's in right now? Us. Anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and Saviour, that power is there and it accomplishes much. It's not our righteousness, it's not our power and God does mighty things through that. Now in this passage here that James is speaking about, the much that he's talking about is not actually calling the elders and getting prayed for your sickness. Because he uses Elijah to describe the much. And in the case of Elijah, the much, the prayer that accomplished much, the much was the bringing back to the Lord of a whole people group and the healing of the land. Hear that? One person prayed and an entire people group returned to worship the Lord. And the land was healed from drought. That's pretty powerful prayer, isn't it? That much is a really seriously big much. I guess that means that if we put ourselves in that place of prayer, to pray earnestly and fervently because of the shed blood of Jesus because His Spirit teaches us how to pray and leads us in prayer, then is it possible that we could expect the much for this whole valley to return to the Lord? Is that possible? Is it possible to believe for the healing of the land? Well, I believe this Scripture teaches us so, and this is where we want to look today at this earnest prayer that James describes here. So let's have a look at that, at Elijah, because Elijah is the example that James uses when he's speaking about prayer. Oh, earnest prayer is powerful and effective and accomplishes much, just like Elijah who prayed for three years and it didn't rain, and then he prayed again and it did rain. Elijah prayed for three years and there was an encounter on Mount Carmel and the entire children of Israel came back to worshipping the Lord. Elijah prayed and the rain came and the drought was broken. So is it really possible in this valley for those that have wandered away from the Lord to return? Is it possible that those who have been driven away from the church to return? Is it possible for those who have turned their back on the Lord in rebellion and walked away, is it possible for them to return? Do you hear the three groups I described? The wanderers, the castouts, and the rebellious. And friends, there are many in this valley like that. Many. 
You think about when you were in youth group or Sunday school, how many were there with you and how many made a commitment to the Lord then and where are they now? Many have wandered, many have rebelled and many have been hurt and wounded by the church and are no longer here. This passage in James 5 and verse 16 clearly tells us that it's possible for those sorts of people to return to the Lord. So let's have a look at this story of Elijah and we need to do some historical background before we get to the challenge on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. So I'm going to give you a very brief potted history of what brings Elijah to that place on Mount Carmel. It starts in Jerusalem where King David bought the tabernacle, built a tabernacle, a tent for the Lord's presence. And everyone was allowed to come and worship at that tent. It wasn't set aside for particular special people or special groups. Everyone could come into that tent. The New Testament calls it the tabernacle of David. That's just a big posh word that means tent. But it was a place where the tribes of Israel could come and worship and pray in one accord. That's what it was. So that's the starting point. That's the, that's the presence of God. That's the blessing. That's the well. That's the altar. Whatever word you want to use, that's what that was. That's what was there. However, when David's son Solomon took over, yes, he built the temple, and yes, the Lord's presence fell in the temple, but Solomon was a harsh ruler. And the people began to whinge and complain. And idol worship was brought back into Jerusalem. And there was much discontent amongst the people. And by the time we get to Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he tried to quash the rebellion with seriously harsh, abusive authority. And the kingdom split into two. Ten tribes went one way and two tribes went the other. Jeroboam ruled in the ten tribes of Israel at Shechem and Rehoboam ruled in Jerusalem the tribe of Judah and Benjamin and a serious competitive spirit developed between them. I hope you're listening to the progress, the downward spiral of this. It began place of worshipping together in one accord and there was mumbling and whinging and complaining and harsh and abusive leadership which lent to division and splits and competition. And finally, when the competition got seriously fierce and Rehoboam, and sorry, and Jeroboam, he was worried that his people, this is the northern tribe, the ten, they kept on going down to Jerusalem because, see, Jerusalem had set itself up as, you can only worship God here. 
This is the only place. We've got it all and you've got to come here. And, uh, and Jeroboam was a bit annoyed about that and so he decided to set up little altars all around the place where people could come and worship. And more than that, he decided to rebuild the golden calf. Oh my. So in an endeavour to keep his people, his people, he set up an idolatrous worship system. So about 65 years after that, we have Ahab and Jezebel ruling and now the prophets of God are being slaughtered, believers in God are being persecuted and idols are being set up everywhere and it's exceedingly evil would be the best way to describe it. Now let me make sure that you've understood that little bit of history that I've just shown you there because it's important to get this when, when, we, when we stand on Mount Carmel and see what Elijah does. It started with an altar and a place of worship where everybody could come in one accord. That was called the Tabernacle of David. But harsh and abusive leadership and rebellion and discontent and whinging and complaining amongst the people. Now, I don't know which one of those came first. They just tend to happen together at the same time. Because harsh leadership leads to whinging and complaining and whinging and complaining releases harsh leadership because they want to put down the rebellion and so on it goes around. And that led to disunity and tribalism and competition and ultimately released idolatry. Does this sound familiar to you? Hmm? Well, without going into all the detail, this very clearly describes the spiritual history of our nation and of this valley. The original founders of this valley, the Evangelical Lutherans and Baptists from Germany, who came into this valley as missionaries to establish house churches and home churches came in one accord in Christian community to model to Queensland what it was like to be believers. That's how it started. It started in Brisbane, before Brisbane was Brisbane, and it flowed out and followed the Brisbane Bremer River and at the top of the valley up there at Matapili, that's where they began, these, these missionaries began to come in to this valley. That's very, very good heritage, my friends. And those evangelical uh, German, Lutherans and Baptists invited Methodists and Anglicans to worship with them in one accord. That's a powerful, powerful thing that birthed the church in this valley. Unfortunately, harsh and abusive leadership and rebellion and disconsent, discontent led to serious splits in the church in our history across this valley. And our rebellion as members of churches released more harsh and abusive leadership which released more rebellion and church splits and divisions, 
right across this valley. Now, I'm not going to name any particular churches, but I'm aware of the history of a church in the valley back in the late 1800s, so don't panic, I'm not talking about modern day, where the new pastor who came to pastor that church took great pride in the fact that he had expelled more members from the church than any other pastor previous to him. People were being expelled from church in the valley here for separating cream on Sunday morning. Now, we might laugh, but what if that were you and your family? Expelled from the church, told you no longer belong. How would that make you feel? Joyful or rebellious and angry? Yeah. And we've had splits upon splits upon splits in the church across the valley. And yet, our foundation was in one accord, harmony and unity with a sense of mission to show that there's another way to live. That, that is so similar to this passage of Scripture that we're about to look at and, and the history. Do you see how that just almost lines up completely? Now, please hear me really carefully. I am not pointing my finger at anyone in particular and particularly about your leadership here. So please hear me really carefully about that. But we need to understand our history, good and ugly, because there's an important role that we have to play in that. So now let's go back to this work of Elijah and how he dealt with this issue. How did God use this man to bring healing to a whole people group and to the land? Well, it starts in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. When Elijah begins to plead and pray earnestly that there be no rain. He was pleading with God. Now, that's an odd thing to be praying for, isn't it? Lord, no rain. Send a drought. Do you know why he was praying for a drought? Do you? Just because he was mean and nasty and wanted them to suffer because he'd suffered? No. Under King David, when there was a drought, David, the leader, went to the Lord, this is 2 Samuel chapter 21, and said, Lord, why have you withheld the rain? Hear the question. And then the Lord pointed out a particular sin that they needed to deal with. Elijah is praying for the withholding of the rain so the people will ask the question, why, Lord, have you withheld the rain? And that's an open uh, invitation for God to send his spirit to convict us of our sin and restore us. Do you hear that process? That's what's going on. That's what Elijah's praying for. And for three and a half years, he pleaded and cried out earnestly, Oh, Lord, withhold the rain. 
Or another way of putting that, oh Lord, come and convict us of our sin. That's a, a, a modern day way of putting that. Oh, and, and who does that, by the way? Who convicts us of our sin? The Holy Spirit. So we're actually pleading for an outpouring of God's Spirit to convict us of our sin. Oh my. <laughs> then Elijah calls the people and brings a really simple challenge to them. This is uh, chapter 18, verse 21. Who will you worship? That was it. Who will you worship? If God is God, worship Him. If Baal is God, well, go worship Him. Who will you worship? And that's a really simple call. Then he did something quite remarkable. In verse 30, after Elijah had had some fun with the prophets of Baal, it says, Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord. You see, that used to be, Mount Carmel used to be a place where God was worshipped and now it was a place where Baal and Ashereths were worshipped, fertility gods and goddesses. And he repaired the altar. Have a look at it. What did he do to repair the altar? Read it. He did what? He put together 12 stones. Why 12? There were 12 but there were only 10 there at the time and the other two, this 10, they hate them with a passion. You see that? What he's done in front of their eyes is says, listen, I know you guys all think you got it all together, but no, you're missing something. You're not together with your brothers and sisters down south. Oh no, does that mean we have to forgive New South Wales? Oh my... could be he rebuilt it from the 12 stone now you see why it's so important to understand all that back history because the 12 were no longer together they seriously hated each other and to see in front of their face a symbol of all of them together that must have really shocked them and they repaired the altar Because that altar, see, it's not Jerusalem. It wasn't the temple in Jerusalem he was repairing. It was an altar where everybody could come and pray and worship. That's what he was repairing. A place that all the people could come in one accord because all 12 tribes belong together. All the church of the valley belongs together. I'm not saying everybody has to be the same because clearly the tribes had different tribal distinctives but they weren't divided and they're not meant to be divided. They're meant to be fighting and standing alongside one another as brothers and sisters, cheering each other on. This is what he rebuilt and repaired there in front of their eyes and then he made a sacrifice. Blood was shed. 
And a simple prayer followed that. Now, he'd been praying earnestly for three and a half years. But up on the top of the mountain, there's not a three and a half year condensed version of the prayer. All he prays is three simple words. Answer me, Lord, answer me. That's five words in English, but it's actually three words in Hebrew. Answer me, Lord, answer me. That's 1 Kings 18, verse 37. Just three simple words. You see, he'd been pleading for three and a half years for God's people to be convicted of their sin and return to worship the Lord at his altar in one accord, worship and prayer together. Answer me, Lord, answer me. Does the Lord answer him? Oh yeah, fire falls from heaven. So the blood of the sacrifice is shed, fire falls from heaven and the people return wholeheartedly to the Lord with a cry, the Lord, he is God. How amazing is that? Here's this group, they've been been building into this idolatrous situation for over 60 or 70 years. And then on the top of Mount Carmel, when fire comes from heaven, the people cry out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then the rain falls. Now Elijah spends time praying seven times. He's prayed for three and a half years. He's prayed a short prayer and fire falls from heaven. He goes off and cries out to the Lord seven times to break the drought and the rain comes and the land is healed. I want you to notice that. There are two distinct things that are happening here. The people of God are coming back to worship and pray, but the whole land is healed. Whoever was living there didn't matter. Whoever was living there from whatever nation or nationality, they were blessed because God's people came back together. You hear that? See how that works? A whole nation was transformed. That's powerful prayer, my friends. And James says that Elijah was someone just like us oh I I hope your heart is beginning to stir and burn and say oh yes please Lord yes Lord because I want to show you that there are just three things that we're responsible for in the healing of our valley and the land, and three things that God's going to do. Now remember when I started, I introduced to you the concept that James says, call the elders, that's all you have to do. Well, the elders turn up and all they have to do is pray and lay hands on and anoint you, and then God will raise you up. So there's clearly, James is making quite a clear understanding that there are different responsibilities depending on who you are, whether you're God or your people, whether you're, you're a leader or, or you're feeling unwell. So what are our responsibilities in, in this looking at, at this process that we've just described for Elijah? Because there was earnest prayer. He prayed earnestly for three and a half years. So that's part of our role, friends. 
That's why God is stirring prayer across this valley. Have you noticed? People are getting interested in prayer and wanting to learn about prayer and begin to be involved in prayer and little prayer meetings are beginning to spring up all over the place. That's not by accident. That's the work of God's Spirit stirring us to pray. In fact, the good thing is we don't actually have to to do too much about it. It's the Holy Spirit that does all the stirring. He's the one that stirs us to get into the prayer room. He's the one that shows us how to pray. He's the one that shows us what to pray for. He's the one who reveals the Father's heart to us so we can pray in accordance with God's will. I've just summarised Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 28. He's the one who does that. But we need to respond to that prompting to get into our prayer room. And God is laying that burden on more and more people. There was a prophetic challenge that Elijah gave. It was a simple one. Who will you worship? I think we need to be calling people back to worship. Ring up your friends, your neighbours, your family members. Invite them back. Invite them to worship. And the third thing that we're responsible for is repairing the altar. That's our responsibility. I'm going to talk about that more in a moment. But let me just highlight what God's going to do because this is the really good stuff. Here are the three things that God's going to do. This is what He's responsible for. You don't have to worry about this. Now in the Old Testament, Elijah had to slaughter an animal and put blood on the, on the altar for sacrifice. Is that correct? But we're in a different time with a different covenant now. The blood has already been supplied. Someone want to say thank you, Jesus? It's already been supplied. Jesus supplies this. That's the power of the gospel. The blood of Jesus applied to an individual person's heart. That Jesus does that. The Father pours out fire from heaven. That's, that's God the Father's responsibility. It's called a firestorm. God does that. And you can see repeatedly through the scriptures that God continues to do that. And historically, he's continued to do that, to pour out fire upon the church. Why? To revive us so that the lost might be saved. That's why. To bring glory to the name of his son. Because the more people who get saved, the more Jesus gets glorified. Because if you hadn't noticed, someone who's just given their heart to the Lord Jesus, they are full of praise for the work of the cross and the blood of Jesus and what Jesus has done. Have you noticed that? That brings glory to him. The father is intimately interested in seeing his son glorified. He's the one, the father, who pours out the fire. Jesus supplies the blood. The father pours out the fire and the Holy Spirit brings the rain. We don't have to do that. The Holy Spirit does that. It's the Spirit is the one who stirs 
and revives communities. It's the Spirit is the one who brings fertility to the land and supplies a grain for the farmer and bread for the eater. He's the one who does that. And we understand this really clearly in this valley. It's God who sets the seasons. So does your heart really yearn for this? Yes? No? Just another interesting Sunday morning? Because there's a stirring going on. There's a stirring happening. So what are we supposed to do? Get into your prayer closet and cry out to God. Invite people to come back to worship. And we need to repair the altar. How do we do that? Well, Elijah gave us the model. He put the 12 stones together. We've done plenty to separate churches in this nation. And yet the Lord has built us as one body, the bride of His Son. And we've gone out of our way to compete, divide, accuse, warn people about, oh, don't go there. You'll get whatever germs they've got. How is the altar repaired? It's really quite simple, actually. We need to confess the sin. We need to be honest and truthful and confess the sin of harsh and abusive leadership and rebellion and discontent and competition. We need to confess those things. And you might say, yes, but I didn't do that. And the answer might well be, yes, you didn't. But there comes a time when we need to be we. We need to understand corporate and how we function and work together. It might not have been us, it might not have even been this congregation, but we, in this valley, in this nation, have thrown the stones of the altar of worship and prayer far apart. And so by confessing our sin, that begins the process. It starts. Elijah's act was a prophetic act. He started at first. So would you be brave enough this morning to start the process of repairing the altar in this valley. I chose my words carefully to start the process. Then we need to confess our sin. 
here's where it gets tough. I'd like to invite anyone who has been in leadership in any church in your history to pray with me who's been in leadership in churches confessing our sin of harsh and abusive authority. If you're up for that, would you just kneel where, where you're sitting at the moment? So if you've been in any form of leadership, I don't mind how you define that. Could I invite you to be on your knees, please? And I'm going to give you a moment to actually quietly confess those words that you can see up there on the overhead. Father, we leaders have been harsh and abusive. This is sin and has divided your body. To pray that quietly and then I'm going to pray it corporately out loud on behalf of the we leaders. Oh, Father, we, we leaders in the body of Christ, we have sinned against you and against your people by our harsh and abusive and cruel and uncompassionate leadership. Oh, Father, forgive us for the harshness of our hearts. Amen. You can return to your seat. But before we move to the next one, I would like to speak formally to those of you who have been hurt or wounded by harsh and cruel and abusive leadership anywhere in your church history. As a leader who travels nationally, being in congregational ministry, I would like to say to you, we, leaders in the church in this nation, have sinned against you by our harshness, our cruelty, our lack of compassion and understanding and we have expelled you, we have driven you away, we have ignored you and left you vulnerable to the wolves. Please 
can you forgive us? And you might need to say a quiet little yes in your heart if you have been hurt or wounded, just to release that. I'm going to invite Kathy to come now and represent members of the church because we have stuff that we need to confess as well. As members of churches and congregations and Christian fellowships, uh, we need to acknowledge the truth that we have sinned against one another and against our leaders by our rebellion and harbouring, fostering division by our words in our actions or our inaction and not speaking up when we should have. So would you pray with me, please? If you would like, you may get down on your knees. If you're unable, don't worry. Stay where you're sitting. And would you pray quietly? The words on the screen for members asking a confessing sin and asking the Lord for his forgiveness and his cleansing in Jesus name Father we have not loved leaders in the body of Christ as you love them and we have not treated them as we would like to be treated so father we confess that we have sinned and by our sin caused division and strife and separated the stones that were once together separated your family and brought strife and heartache into the body of Christ. Father, would you forgive us and cleanse us from our sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Could I invite the worship team to come and just play quietly for a moment? Thanks. And if at the end we can have that Break Every Chain song right at, right at the end, that would be awesome. Thanks. Now, we looked at our responsibility to pray earnestly to call people back to worship and to begin the process of repairing the altar.
Can you remember on that list, what was the first thing that God was responsible for? Applying the blood. And where is blood applied, my friends? To a contrite heart. A heart that has confessed sin. And that's exactly what we have just done. So if you would pick up your communion uh, elements, thanks. We are now going to allow the Lord Jesus to apply the blood of his sacrifice to our contrite hearts. You see, the scripture tells us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So my friends, hold up the bread and the cup, if you can. For this is the symbol of our righteousness. This is the promise that our sins are forgiven and we have been cleansed. This is the body and blood of Jesus. Take, eat and drink. Friends, the scripture tells us that the blood of Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus has done for us. In all our mess, he's torn down that dividing wall of hostility. And in Ephesians 2 and verse 18... Paul summarizes all that, talking about division and, and the body being separated. He says, now all can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Amen? Because of what Christ has done, we can all come. Male and female, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. Pentecostal and Evangelical, Catholic and Anglican, mainline, liberal, conservative, all can come because of what Jesus has done. Oh, that's so powerful, my friends. What a witness to our community. And can I tell you that the fire of God falls on such a sacrifice. Because the blood of Jesus is what gathered the early church together and the fire fell 
in Acts chapter 2. And the fire fell in Acts chapter 4. And the fire fell in Acts chapter 6. Again and again and again, as the church gathered and worshipped and prayed and rejoiced in the precious blood of Jesus, the fire of God fell. Now it took 70 years for Elijah from when they first started to walk away from the tabernacle of David. And Elijah prayed for three years that the blood was shed and the fire fell and the rain of God's Spirit came and it's coming to our valley. It's coming. God is bringing the dry bones to life. He's breathing on us so that a mighty gospel army is raised up across this valley and once again we will be known as the Bible Belt because God is raising that army. Now, before we move to our last song, there's one last thing that I need to do. Because you might be here this morning or watching on YouTube and you've never seen the church behave like this before. Can I say to you, this is how the church is meant to behave. This is who we are. And there's now a way for you to come to the Father through His Spirit drawing you because of what Jesus has done. So if that's you this morning, drawing you back to the Father, I'd like to invite you to come and stand out the front and some of the leaders of the church will come and pray with you. So won't you come now? Because the way has been prepared. Sin has been confessed corporately and there's a way now, having dealt with the hurt and the pain of your past, that you can come to the Father by His Spirit because of what Jesus has done. He's the one who has broken every chain. And we're going to sing that song. And while we're singing, if you need to come and do business to, with God, come and stand out the front, please. Make that statement. Make that step. Do something about it. And someone from the leadership of the church will come and pray with you. Because Jesus truly is breaking every chain and has held many captive in this valley for far too long. And the exiles are coming back and the hurt and wounded are coming back and the rebellious are coming back. Why? Because we've begun to do what God has asked us to do and pray earnestly and confess and deal with our sin and be truthful and honest and allow Jesus to apply the blood to our hearts so that he can do that work through us. Would you stand with me now as we close with this song? Please come and do business with the Lord this morning. This is for you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you were blessed with today's message. You can connect with us at firmchristianchurch.com.